Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts welcome to stuff you should know a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. Josh here. Chuck there. Not Josh and Clark, which cracks me up still every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Josh and Chuck, your pals. You know us. Don't you know us? And this is stuff you should know. <laughs> Are you superstitious at all? I feel like we probably talked about this at some point. Yeah, I was like, have we done a superstition episode? And the, the closest one we did was Friday the 13th. Am I superstitious to answer your question, Chuck? Let me just get back to that right now. Yes, I am in a lot of dumb ways, but like really childish ways. I'm not in any way, shape or form genuinely superstitious, but I knock wood when I say something that like invites the hubris of the gods, you know. Um, I feel like I've seen that out of you a little bit here and there now that you mention it. I, um, what what else do I do? Oh, I throw salt over my shoulder uh, when I spill it. Do you walk under ladders? Yeah, I've got no problem with ladders. That's just ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm not superstitious at all. And uh, sometimes it even bugs Emily that I will um, sort of flout that blatantly by walking under ladders or not knocking on wood. And she's just like, just do it. And I'm like, better safe than sorry. Some stupid wood. That's the superstitious mindset. It's better safe than sorry. I guess so. And it's fine. I'm not I'm not going to yuck someone's yum. Superstitions are are just sort of silly and fun. But I, uh, <laughs> I'm a man of science, and sure. I know that there is no real world connection to knocking on wood. No, so I don't do it. But uh, I will do it to satisfy my wife. Yeah, I think that's very kind of you. You're, you're, and I don't make fun of her. I don't go, oh, okay, well, do this dumb thing you think works, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll knock on wood. I'll say, okay, sorry. I think I've said before, you may be superstitious of the numbers four and nine. So yeah. I will do things for her too. Like I'll try not to let the gas number, like um, the, the dollar amount or the gallon amount have a four in it, which is harder than you'd think to do or not. When she turns 49, is she going to freak out? <laughs> She's just going to be like, well, I'm 50. <laughs> She's going to go right 50 over. 50 for two years. Yeah, for sure. 
Let's say 48 for a year. That's what I'd do. Oh, that's an even better idea. I'll, I'll pass that one along to her. She and then like skip that. right over to 50 when the time comes. Right. Just go, but, <laughs> but if you look on some Japanese or Korean or I think Chinese as well, um, elevators, they don't have like a number four when there's a fourth floor. Yeah. They'll, either, they'll skip it like 13 in America mm-hmm. um, or they will just put the letter F. Right. So there you go. Because I think they're saying like F the number four. Yeah, and I've also tried to not be I'll the laugh jerk. At that one myself. <laughs> it was okay. okay. Uh, I also try to not be the jerk that says, "No, there's still the thirteenth floor, even though it says it's not 13. <laughs> Man, I feel like we've really evolved and grown up over the years. You know, I mean, this show started when I was in my thirties, and I'm fifty. Yeah, same here. Isn't that crazy. Yeah, except you're not fifty. Early thirties for me, and I'm nowhere near fifty right now. Mm, you get closer than you think, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so rather right. than talk about that kind of thing, let's talk about yes. superstition. So um, just to kind of start off, I was digging into what makes us superstitious. And and there's this article. I found all these articles. I just put together a handful of, of cute little articles from How Stuff Works. Most of them mm-hmm. written by Debbie Ronka, your pal. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the premise of the whole thing is that humans— are superstitious because we have this desire to control the world. That, like, that mm-hmm. is a way for us to to not feel like we're just subject to the whims and vagaries of fate or God or whatever. Um, that we can we can do things by noticing patterns, making cause and effect causal connections, and then using them to our advantage by doing something or not doing something in a certain situation to affect the outcome. That's a superstition at its base. Yeah. And, you know, superstitions don't work in one sense because, <laughs> yeah. of of course, if you're a, a baseball player who uh, doesn't change their underwear after they have a big game in the playoffs Yick. for the remainder of the playoffs, of course, that's not really going to help you hit better or feel better mm-hmm. or pitch better. Mm-hmm. But uh, it may if that tricks your mind into being more relaxed or more confident, you may perform better. So in a sense, it maybe does work in a in a weird way. Precisely, yeah. I saw that in a number of places, that there is this idea that rituals like superstitions mm-hmm. can have a real-world effect, but they have a real-world effect on you, the person who's superstitious. Right. And they, I think it could also, I didn't see it anywhere, but it, it, it's logical to an extent. And we're just throwing out superstitions here, so I feel like I can riff. Sure, we're riffing. But the idea is there could kind of be a nocebo effect to that thing, too, where mm-hmm. if you feel like you violated some sort of superstitious taboo, like walking under a ladder and not remedying yeah. it, mm-hmm. you might be a little more clumsy than you would think because you're psyching yourself out. You're expecting bad luck to happen. Um, and so you may actually kind of go face first into bad luck where otherwise you might not because you hadn't been focused on something bad happening. Or there's a reverse attribution that happens where you're like, you hit your thumb with a hammer later that day, and you're like, see, it's because I walked into that ladder. Right. Right. Or <laughs> <laughs> or is there an evolutionary basis in this? You're right. Uh, I mean, I think it was in that one article from Debbie where uh, she talked about like an animal um, hunting at night. And if there was a full moon out, they may make a false association with like a rustling sound in the bushes mm-hmm. being connected to that full moon, being connected with a kill 
and eating good for the night. Or being like, killed by that, that large animal. So you run sure, away. Or, yeah, I guess so. Avoiding that animal that's wrestling in the bushes, I guess that makes more sense. Well, both of them do because you can have a positive reinforcer or a negative yeah. reinforcer. A reinforcer or a punisher is what they're called. And it will either um, make you want to do the re- repeat that behavior that you, you think is magical or avoid that behavior that you think is magical. So it could go either way in that situation. And at its base, the idea that if you hear a rustling in the bushes— um, you would probably probably be wise to run, and therefore, under natural selection, you would be likelier to survive a lion attack because you didn't stick around to see whether it was a lion, so you could pass on your genes. So we could select for scaredy cats, or natural selection could. Um, and then that makes sense at its base. It's when you start to add additional things, additional omens or signs, like that full moon you were talking about, that superstition really sets in. Because before, it's just like, that's just a good instinct. That's a survival instinct. Yeah. Once you add the full moon being a part of it, then you've reached superstition, and it's probably a little foolish. All right. Should we dive into some of these? Yeah, because these are so great, man. Yeah, I mean, mainly what this is is a an origin podcast on the origin of some of these terms. It's like where Peter and, Parker came from, but with superstition. <laughs> that's right. Uh, some of these customs, like horseshoes. Uh, I do not do it, but I, whenever I see a house or an entryway with a horseshoe hung above it, mm-hmm. I always think that's kind of cool. I just like the tradition of it all. I don't think, I mean, it's a superstition, but I don't judge it and think it's silly. I think it's kind of a, and I think most of these are kind of just fun customs that I don't mind either adhering to or seeing them around me. Right, sure. Because uh, there is something to be said. There's something um, very quaint and charming about folksiness, earthiness, that like a yeah. lot of these superstitions have. And a horseshoe, like horseshoe over the door, the door, it's very much like that. Yeah, and it does have that kind of charming charming um, aspect to it. I think also one of the things about horseshoes and be, it being positive is that it's meant to be a good luck charm as well. Like not only does it supposedly ward off evil, it actually blesses you with good luck for walking under it typically. Yeah, so this one may have its roots in Ireland. Uh, it's a story, a legend of a blacksmith and the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, blacksmith is working along, forging horseshoes. The devil shows up and says, give me my shoes. I want horseshoes on my little cloven hooves. No, no, no. It's, you need to do it as Sammy D. Oh. <laughs> hey, man, I could use a little iron down below, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and so the devil appears, asks for that, and the blacksmith recognizes the devil, takes a hot horseshoe and nails it into the hooves. The devil gets burned, rips them off, and says, I'll never go near these horseshoes uh, uh, again. Uh, 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 uh. No? No. What does he say? What does he sound like when he says that? (laughs) I'm not, me and any other listener listening right now are not going to stand for that kind of laziness. Sorry, Kat, but I am donezo with the horseshoe thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chuck. And then all of a sudden that becomes tied to the tradition of hanging a horseshoe over your door to keep the devil out. Or evil spirits. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. You, and anytime you see it, uh, from what I can tell, with superstition when uh, or folklore even, when the devil makes an appearance, you can just say, okay, the devil is this Christian incarnation of any and all evil spirits, from fairies to nymphs to witches to uh, whatever, that predate the traditional Christian idea of the devil. But it's the same thing. You're being <clears throat> protected from evil by mm-hmm. this thing. And so the horseshoe itself has like a story as a horseshoe, but... The fact that horseshoes have usually typically been made of iron, 
the whole time people have been making horseshoes, um, in and of itself is is makes it kind of like a good luck charm. And that people used to attribute um, magic to to iron all over yeah. the world. The Arabs, Chinese, the Western Europeans. Um, I think the Chaldeans, which were an ancient, I think they're still around, uh, Catholic, Eastern Catholic sect um, from Iraq. Um, a lot of cultures uh, basically said iron is something special. So the fact that you could, you would make a horseshoe out of iron meant that it was automatically a good luck charm. And then the shape also made it even luckier because crescent, crescent shapes have been viewed as having very special magical powers for a very long time. That's right. And not only that, but the number of nails, seven holes in a horseshoe uh, in the horse's foot, that is a lucky number in many, many cultures. And the way you hang it, though, is kind of where it comes into some dispute. Some mm -hmm. people say, hang it upside down to hold in your to hold the good luck. Other people say, hang it. Uh, or did I say upside down or right side up? I think you, know you said I mean. upside down. Heels down, the little points down. Yeah. Heels down would be dumping good luck on you. Heels up would be containing that good luck for uh -huh. those who enter. Right. And I, you know, I've heard people say it both ways, so I don't, I don't know if there is a right way. I, the right way is to put two horseshoes, one up, one down. There you go. The, why, why discriminate? They're horseshoes for yeah. me's sake. Um, I like it. And then one other thing, I think we should take a break, but I wanted to give a shout-out to, you know how I'm always into contemporary journalism? Yes. I found a an article in the Journal of American Folklore by Robert M. Lawrence, from 1896, that is just a page turner. So I shout them out. I recommend everybody go read it. It's about horseshoes and superstition, and it's pretty great. All right, we'll be right back. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
right, Chuck. So we've gone through horseshoes. I feel like the well is dry. Is this the end of the episode? It's not, my friend, oh, because okay. I'm, I got my pinky wrapped around a wishbone, and I'm just waiting on you to come over. Well, I wish that this episode could just go on forever and we'll be doomed to <laughs> eternal damnation doing this episode forever. Uh, the, the furcula is the wishbone of a fowl, of a turkey, a duck, or a chicken. Mm-hmm. And that's where the clavicle is uh, fused to the sternum, uh, right above the sternum there. Yeah. Fused together. So everyone knows the the trick. You put one pinky on each side of a wishbone. Mm -hmm. You both make a wish. You tear it. And whoever, you know, it breaks apart. And whoever, uh, you got to dry it out first. That's key. If you try to do it fresh out of a turkey, you're just going to be pulling and pulling. Because it's it's collagen and collagen doesn't break very easily. Yeah, but whoever ends up with the biggest part of the wishbone, their wish will come true. And this goes way, way back, doesn't it? Super far back. Um, as far back as we've identified so far to the Etruscans, who were mm-hmm. the rivals of the ancient Greeks and the predecessors of the ancient Romans um, who lived in Italy. And they engaged in um, uh, animal sacrifice. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was probably orgy every night of the week kind of thing. Right. Um, but one of the things they did was blood sacrifices of chickens. And I, for some reason, the wishbone caught their attention. Um, chickens and birds in, in general were, were believed to be um, oracles or, or divine. You could tell the future with that kind of thing. Or you could make a wish on them. And for some reason, the furculum uh, was identified as this particularly magically potent part of this already magical animal, the, the bird or the chicken. Yeah, so they would they would stroke this thing. They would make a wish on it. Uh, I think the breaking apart didn't come till a little bit later. Yeah, uh, I think that was the Romans because they didn't have a lot of chickens, which surprised me. I thought the Romans had a lot of everything. Yeah, are there any? It's if weird. there's a Roman scholar out there who who let us know, does that sound hinky? Does that make sense? And if so, why did the Romans not have chickens? <laughs> and I think we just came up with a new. Super in-group uh-huh. T-shirt first. Yeah, <laughs> Romans colon where the chickens? <laughs> no, you mean colon? That's right. We need a colon jingle. That's we got right. a colon jingle, didn't we? I don't think so. Did somebody already send one in? Oh uh, no, I, I, I saw an, an email from a guy saying we we have a colon sound. I think he's talking about a fart. Oh, I see. I might have read that wrong though. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> not as many chickens, not as many wishbones. So people would break bones in half. And that supposedly is where the breaking of the wishbone finally comes in, uh, which is then, of course, passed along to Britain, passed on to America, where we had lots of uh, ducks and turkeys and chickens. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the deal. That's why Americans still do that today. I still do it every now and then. Sure. Yeah. I mean, why not? Uh, The animal died for that purpose, mostly. You might as well do something about it. But there's, supposedly the Brits, like, took that and really ran with it and uh, added some stuff to it. Like, initially in, in Britain, or I, I should say during the golden age of wishbone breaking in Great Britain, um, <laughs> you would balance the wishbone on your nose, make yeah. a wish, and then take it off, let it fall off, and um, and then you would go about breaking it with somebody. And then after that, if you won the larger piece, you still had another mm-hmm. obstacle to make it pass, which was you would take each piece, put it in your fist, and make the person choose a fist. And if they 
chose the shorter one, finally, you who held on to this longer one throughout the whole time will get your wish granted. If not, they could come up and sneak your wish away um, just by getting the longer piece out of your fist at the end there. So, of course, wow. the Puritans are like, that seems pretty ungodly. Let's really sure. let's trim this down and, and make yeah, it more yeah. Puritan-esque. And <laughs> there you go. Uh, the only dubious part of this part of the article to me is it says that's where the term getting your lucky break comes from, mm. and, and I'm not quite sure about that. No, from everything I saw that came about from playing pool and billiards uh, starting in the mid-19th century, so which makes way yeah. more sense. And yeah, then Lucky break. One more thing about the furcula. It's actually a really ancient bone. Um, it allows wing movement among turkeys and chickens and stuff like that. But um, they also uh, found them among velociraptors and T-Rex as well to allow for arm movement and extension. So it kind of is one of those things that directly connects the dinosaurs to modern-day birds. Very cool. I think so, too. I wasn't going to let that one pass, man. No way. So should we get into salt? Yeah. So throwing salt over your shoulder, that's a thing. You spill a little bit of salt. <laughs> you take a you take a pinch, mm -hmm. pinch. You throw it over that left shoulder. <clears throat> and this, uh, they say, may have come from Da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper. Uh, if you look closely, Judas Iscariot has knocked over the salt, mm -hmm. spilled that salt. Judas was not a good guy. He betrayed Jesus in the Bible. Yeah. And so the association of salt and disloyalty started there. And the idea that the devil is uh, sitting over your left shoulder in you know, some Christian beliefs, and you're throwing salt over your shoulder to blind the devil over that left shoulder, and that might be where that comes from. Yeah. Uh, I saw elsewhere, I saw in a few places that it was da Vinci who started that with that painting. I also saw that he was following on a much, much older tradition of the idea of spilling salt being considered unlucky. Right. Which makes sense because um, people probably were not actually paid in salt ever at, at any point in Western history. Yeah, uh, we talked about this in our currency episode. I, I hope we busted that one because I don't think it's actually true. It's just such a great a great um, factoid, but not necessarily a true one. But that's not to say that salt wasn't an extremely valuable commodity for a very long time. So they think that there was a, a taboo that grew around spilling the salt that turned into a superstition be, that had kind of practical origins, which was, that's really expensive stuff. Don't don't spill it or else you're basically letting the devil take over. And that, that made sense for why you would throw some of that salt over your shoulder. Although it's even more wasteful. But That's what I was getting at. I just don't get that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Agreed. I guess it's just a pinch, but still. Maybe that came about after salt became a little more easy to get. Now it's basically free. Like people pay you to take salt now, basically. Yeah. You try to go out on a street corner in New York and not have somebody give you salt. Yeah. You can't do it. It just happens. <laughs> uh, I think we could probably move on to the rabbit's foot now. This is my favorite, so just be prepared. Yeah, this is one where I remember, and you probably do too, growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, I saw a lot of highly dyed and colored rabbit's foot keychains. Mm -hmm. And I always thought those were real rabbit's feet and thankfully have learned that they are generally synthetic these days. These days? I'm not sure about the 70s, man. They may have been— Were they real rabbit's feet? It's entirely possible. I mean, Ugh. think about where you're seeing those things, like next to a Def Leppard mirror. You know, like the people peddling these were not necessarily the, the best and brightest society had to offer— <laughs> and they probably had a line on rabbits cheaper than they did on synthetic rabbits' feet in the 70s, you know? 
Yeah, there was, I don't know if you remember this, but in the 80s at my school, there was a trend that happened for a little while where girls would have these ridiculous keychains with like three keys and like 40 other things on them, Uh including rabbit's feet and like feathers and... Oh, remember the Mr. T feathers that you would put on your ear and it wasn't until you were older that you realized it was a roach clip and that's why it hurt so much? (laughs) Do you remember that? Oh, sure. Totally. But yeah, there was just a big gaudy keychain movement in the 80s. And it was always girls who had all these things on their keychains. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all of them always had like a purple or pink sure. rabbit's foot. No, they definitely did. Every single one of them. There wasn't a single girl that didn't have that in right. the 80s, maybe <laughs> early 90s. And they also right. had that big, giant, um, multicolored pen. No. Yes. You know, the one that could, could write in all sorts of different colors. And yes, big hair too, for sure. It was the age yeah. of Aquanet. That's right. But uh, we're talking about the rabbit's foot here. And this kind of goes back to uh, the idea of of a totem, totemism, and carrying around a lucky charm. And in ancient times, hares and rabbits were lucky for a lot of cultures. Yeah. um, So one of the um, reasons why they were considered lucky is because they were a symbol of fertility, which extended not just to, like, having a bunch of kids, which is something you really wanted to do in an agrarian society because the more kids you had, the more help you had on the farm, the more Mm -hmm. you could grow and produce and and, um, survive all sorts of terrible misfortune, Um, but also fertility in those crops as well. So rabbits were considered lucky in that respect. But then also rabbits make their homes underground. So they were also associated with the underworld, too. And there's a lot of spirits that live in the underworld that you may or may not want to be in contact with. That's right. And this, I mean, this seems to have been something that started in ancient times and probably never stopped all the way up through today. Like, you don't see them around that much anymore, but it's still a thing. The thing that cracks me up is it was originally hare's feet. Um, which is the, yeah. you know, slightly larger version of the rabbit. Yeah. But they realized along the way, like, you, you can't really tell if it's a hare or a rabbit's foot once it's cut off of the body. So mm-hmm. we'll just say they're both lucky. <laughs> it's basically the consensus everyone came to in the superstitious world. Yeah, but, I mean, what's the difference, really? A little different size, right, the that, speed? That's about it from what I can tell. But, yeah. but um, one of the places where it popped up, so the rabbit's foot as we understand it today as a lucky charm, was actually brought over by um, people who were enslaved in West Africa and brought to right. the Americas. Um, and they developed hoodoo, which is not to be confused with voodoo. It's a totally different thing. Hoodoo was more of uh, African, West African folk magic. Right. And one of the things about West African folk magic, one of the hallmarks of it, is that things have an opposite, a reverse effect. Mm -hmm. So a rabbit's foot was lucky because it was actually a highly, deeply evil thing in that a rabbit, typically one where you saw a rabbit at night in a graveyard, was actually a witch. It was a transfigured witch who had morphed into the shape of a rabbit. If you could shoot that rabbit with a silver bullet around Mm -hmm. midnight in a graveyard... Mm -hmm. And you cut off its rear, which was the magical foot, the, mm-hmm. the rear feet or ma- most magical on a rabbit, and the left foot, which was the sinister associated with witches. That was a, an extremely potent magic charm. You basically had the back left leg of a witch in your pocket. And so because it was such a potent evil thing, it actually warded off other evil. So you could carry it around on you to protect you from real evil. And that's where our kind of idea of a rabbit's foot in America came about as a lucky charm. So the luckiest 
one you could have is the left rear foot of a rabbit mm-hmm. shot in a cemetery with a silver bullet around midnight. That's precisely correct. As far as American Hoodoo Fantastic. is concerned, it doesn't get much more magical than that. I love it. I love it, too. And apparently there's an anecdote where Booker T. Washington um, accidentally, he was in D.C. or at a um, at some sort of dignitary dinner, and he and the Austrian, uh, the Austrian ambassador, I think, got their coat switched. And the Austrian ambassador realized that he had Booker T's coat because he, or that he didn't have his coat because he found a uh-huh. rabbit's foot in the pocket. And Booker uh-huh. T apparently was like, that's, that's my coat. That's, my that's mine, foot. and I wish you hadn't have told people that. <laughs> please, please put that down. Amazing. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's take a break, and maybe we'll come back and cover two more wacky superstitions right after this. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chuck, so... I think next we can't avoid it any longer. We have to talk about walking under a ladder, which I'm not at all afraid of. But I do find this one particularly fascinating, in part because there's a, a lot of interesting theories, but also there's ways to undo the problems mm. you created for yourself with further superstitious behavior. Yeah, and, you know, we should point out the uh, regular real-world danger of walking under a tall ladder uh, if there's a tall ladder up there, maybe someone on it. There may be a hammer sitting up there. Mm-hmm. There may be a tray of paint. Uh, you know, walking under a ladder, there could be a real world consequence that has nothing to do with luck. 
by walking under a ladder. Right. So, I mean, there's it's kind of like spilling really, really expensive salt. Taboos kind of developed yeah, around exactly. a very practical thing to not do. Right. Uh, but that has nothing to do with the superstition. Uh, Superstition-wise, they think it might have its roots in religion. Uh, if you believe in the Bible, you believe in the Holy Trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, you know, forms a triangle and... Uh, the triangle and the number three can be sacred in other cultures as well. And so the idea that you are walking through that triangle, which is the ladder, uh, means that you are breaking up the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You're breaking that th that three-way connection. Right. So um, <laughs> when you when – you, you don't want to do that because there's a couple of things. You don't want to. One, you're, uh, you're insulting the Christian God, a very powerful, potent God, and then – Secondly, you're also um, in summoning the devil or inviting the devil in because you've broken mm -hmm. that very sacred bond um, that represents the Trinity in Christianity. So um, that in and of itself is is reason enough not to walk under a ladder, correct? I think so. What, except I do it. What are some? What are, you blasphemer? What are some <laughs> other um, reasons why you might not want to walk under a ladder, superstitious wise, though? Uh, I think they use ladders for gallows. Yeah, that one and, makes sense uh, too. Or a ladder against a wall might resemble a gallows. So mm -hmm. there was a theory that if you you know walk under a ladder, it's just reminiscent of walking to your to your execution. Or you're basically walking through where the person would be hanging. To yeah, got has got to be bad luck. It's just creepy to even think about. And then supposedly the Egyptians had a superstition against walking under a ladder and that they said that you could conceivably accidentally spy a god walking up or down the ladder. I couldn't see this anywhere except repeated everywhere. Um, I didn't see any scholarship on it. And I'm not entirely certain when the first ladders were developed. There's like some cave paintings from I think 60,000 years ago that Neanderthals made in Europe. Then it looks like a ladder, but it could also just be a design. Um, and the ladders just kind of hang out until the eight, eight, 19th century in Dayton when some guy invented the collapsible ladder. So right. <laughs> somewhere in there, it's possible that the ladder was invented and the Egyptians used it. Some people also point to Jacob's ladder being present in the Bible, but mm. that could also have just been a strange translation where it would make sense to somebody living in a world where ladders had been invented that what they're describing is a ladder, but they were not necessarily describing a ladder. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who totally. knows? Who knows? But it makes a good story. Because I'm, I'm guessing the sight of a god going up or down a ladder viewed from underneath is not pleasant. <laughs> you don't want to see that junk. No. <laughs> uh, this is one, like you mentioned earlier, though, that you can undo with further superstition. Um, there are a few different things. If you accidentally, let's say, walk under a ladder, first of all, that means – get off your phone and look where you're going because <laughs> walking under a ladder is a very specific thing. And if you do it unawares, then that means you should pay attention more. Right. So that aside, uh, if you happen to accidentally do that, um, you can make a wish while you're walking under the ladder mm -hmm. uh, and then walk backwards through that ladder again. And that might undo the bad luck. Right. And get that wish coming true. That one's good. It makes sense. Uh, one of my favorites this is so disgusting. You can spit three times through uh, two of the rungs, between two of the rungs. Oh. It's pretty gross. Okay. You can also make the sign of the fig, which is <laughs> if you take your thumb and you put it uh, between your uh, 
forefinger and your middle finger and let it yeah, stick out. Yeah, the got your nose. Yes, exactly. That's called yeah. the fig sign. And actually, it's called the got your nose. <laughs> dating back to, uh, well, before it represented female genitalia back in the Ew. day. And okay. it was considered a very rude thing to, to make at somebody, probably uh, along the lines of, you know, flipping someone the bird, which is, of course, a phallus um, that you're putting in their face. But the, the uh, I, for, I read this. This is really fascinating. If we have any listeners in Russia who can attest, let us know. But the sign of the fig is apparently pretty, um, pretty uh, uh, widespread in Russia, mm-hmm. but it's lost its um, its kind of negative meaning, and apparently it means a really emphatic no. Oh, so that's the okay. the sign of the fig or the fig sign. Yet, <laughs> no, you have to be like yet. <laughs> I said it before. I, I'll say it again. <laughs> last time, yet. I got your yet. <laughs> Uh, you can say bread and butter when you walk under that ladder. Yeah. That'll cancel out that bad luck. Totally. Uh, and there's another one that did the was spitting. If you spit on your shoe, but you have to spit on it, then not look at your shoe <laughs> until the spit has dried, supposedly. Well, my favorite is the, the other one. The fingers? Yeah. You have to basically, what, make a peace sign? Is that correct? No, just cross your fingers. Oh, like, cross your fingers. I forgot yeah. that that was a different thing than making the peace sign. Right. Making the peace <laughs> sign is like the opposite of crossing your fingers now that I think about it. But you cross your fingers <laughs> until you see a dog, and then you can stop, and the spell has been broken. The bad luck has been removed because you saw a dog. I love that one because you know the well, dog is like, a dog is good luck. I didn't do anything. Now I'm just trying to picture you, someone flashing you the peace sign, and you crossing your fingers in return. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, man. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed. Hope for peace. So let's see. How about stepping on cracks, the last one? Yeah, so this is one I have a personal association with, and I know I mentioned it at some point mm-hmm. on the show in the past uh, 13 years. I but don't recall it. I ha- have a thing where I mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, a minor low-level OCD mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't manifest itself in a lot of ways, but ever since I was a kid, I have no idea why. Right. I purposefully step on cracks oh, when I'm Jack. noticing it. You're, huh? you're toast. <laughs> Your mom is toast. Uh, when I notice it, I don't like think like every time I'm walking, like, oh, I got to step on cracks. But still to this day, if I notice like I've stepped on a crack with my right foot, mm-hmm. I will then step on the next crack with my left foot huh. to balance it out. That's harder to do than you than it seems uh, at first glance, isn't it? It is, and it has led to little weird stutter steps here and there <laughs> right. in my life. Ever since I was a kid, nobody much knows about it. But I do know that I've told that story at some point. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can think is that it might just be a, a – a, a, might be slightly on the OCD spectrum. Maybe. But one of those little stutter steps did bring you good luck because I remember it was on one of those ad shoots that you were doing it, and you fell into the arms of Eric Estrada. <laughs> and that's good luck in anybody's measure. Always, always. But, uh, yeah, stepping on a crack, though, usually denotes bad luck. Step on a crack, break your mother's back. Step on a line, break your father's spine. Did you know that second one? I had heard of it, but it's certainly not ubiquitous like your mother's back. Yeah, Devo left that one out. That's right. That wasn't a Devo song, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in Whip It. Right. Whip It Good. <laughs> Liquorish Whip. Remember, <laughs> remember the Simpsons Variety Show episode where <laughs> Waylon no. Smithers was doing a version of Whip It, but with Liquorish? <laughs> <laughs> I say Whip It. 
Licorice whip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Excuse I forgot you have COVID. Great. I got to tone my Don't polarity down by a good 30%. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so the idea that this is bad luck, it could come from, um, again, from the old days where uh, cracks signified a gap in the boundary between Earth and the metaphysical. Mm-hmm. And if you're interacting with this chasm, even if it's just a crack in the in the ground, then that could bring misfortune to you and your families. Makes sense. Uh, a lot of people were scared of things in the ground or even like a crevasse in a wall or something. Who knows what it was hiding? Which you could also kind of see stemming from those, you know, hunter-gatherer days where it was like, yeah, you don't want to put your finger in there because something really bad can happen. And Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't think about that. A black widow could, could sting you sure. or something like that or bite you. And um, yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to kind of pass that along without having to explain black widows and venom and that kind of thing. This, uh, there's evil spirits that dwell, dwell in cracks, so don't mess with them. Yeah, I never really thought about that. You don't go sticking your hand in a crack. No, you'd have to be a dingus. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chuck. You okay? No, 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 I'm good. Okay. I'm good. All right. That wasn't a guffaw. Okay. So um, w- you actually do kind of fall in line with another version of the superstition where people say that stepping on a crack is actually a positive thing because you break the devil's back. So you're oh. actually breaking the devil's back, Chuck, when you do that. And basically, Maybe that's where that came from, you're making, my re- early religious days. It's possible. I could actually see that, and you just forgot all about it. Well, it's still a thing, though. Like, grown adults like myself uh, still do it. And there was a poll, supposedly, in England where 3,000 people uh, they polled and said that one in 20 would not step on cracks still as grown-ups <laughs> because funny. they thought it could lead to bad luck. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of other superstitions people have, like, um, uh, well, like what, Chuck? Uh, Emily, when she passes a car with a headlight out, will kiss her hand and hit the ceiling uh-huh, yeah. of the car. I've seen that, yeah. And I don't know if that's good luck or not, or just a sort of a game. There's supposedly, um, you are supposed to lift your feet over a bridge. Seen that one? I've heard that. Um yeah, there's just a lot of like weird little modern superstitions that that we might never know the origins of. You know, knocking on wood. Yeah, which is a good I mean, one. That's the biggest one. But we're not going to talk about that one. Do you know the origin? Yeah, yeah. The Celts, as far as we know, the Celts and other cultures felt like trees were in very enchanted places filled with all sorts of spirits, and they would actually sacrifice humans to the trees, which made them even more mystical and magical. Um, and so when you were knocking on wood, you were basically asking those spirits for luck or a favor or help or something like that. And then when you knocked twice, the second knock was meant to say thank you very much for that help. Look at there. Yeah. And, and, and folks, that appeared to be on the fly. <laughs> but the secret is you researched that and I didn't have a chance to. Hey, man, that's okay. As long as we got it in there. I think people would have been been like, "What? how did you not talk about that? You talked about it at the beginning. You didn't follow up with it. So we did. And I feel good. All right. Um, you feel good? I feel great. Well, then I think the superstition episode has come to a conclusion, Chuck. So if you want to know more about superstitions, type that word in the search bar at Good Old House Stuff Works, and it will bring up a bunch of good little articles about those and others we haven't talked about. And uh, since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Yeah, this one is from Poison Control, and this was kind of cool. We did a show on Poison Control Centers, and we heard from Poison Control Centers. I always love it when that happens. Yeah, same here. Corrections. When experts write in? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And and 
this is a correction and we're happy to issue it. But um, they were very kind and they really loved the fact that we did a show kind of highlighting the work they do. <laughs> uh, and they're always a little more official, though, than like regular fan mail. Yeah. Now. And this one starts out, hello, Mr. Bryant and Mr. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know who you email, are. <laughs> I hope this email finds you both well. I'm a big fan of Stuff You Should Know, and I work at the headquarters of the American Association of Poison Control Centers. Oh, no. uh, we would like to express our sincerest gratitude for showcasing poison control centers in a recent episode of your podcast, Stuff You Should Know. Oh. Toward the end of said episode, at 5250, <laughs> nice. uh, you mentioned the National Poison Helpline phone number, mm-hmm. 1-800-222-1222, followed by a URL that is not accurate. Oh, boy. Uh, the accurate webpage triage tool for the AAPCC is poisonhelp.org, and I think we said poison.org. We need to go back and fix that. I don't want to accidentally send somebody to the wrong place. Yeah, we should probably actually do that. Uh, the two sites have similar URLs, mm-hmm. so we completely understand, but the correct address, again, is www.poisonhelp.org. Thank you again for dedicating an episode to Poison Control Centers. Let us know if you have any questions. With gratitude, uh, this one, we got a few of them, but this is from Davis Ladley, uh, an operations associate there. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you very, very cool. much, Davis. That was a great correction, and we will go do something about it. So everybody can go so, here. <laughs> so one of us go poisonhelp.org. Yeah. <laughs> Paging Mr. Herman. <laughs> right. Look out for it in the coming days or weeks. Yeah, sorry we screwed up the one URL yeah. that we needed to get right. Right. <laughs> right, because I don't think we mentioned any others in that whole episode. Nope. Well, if you want to get in touch with Chuck and I, uh, like um, Davis did, um, great name, by the way. I always admired that name, Davis. I thought it was a cool first name. Yeah, me too. Um, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.